0: Good morning. Welcome again to our online service here at South Suburban Christian Church. Uh, Today is a big day in the life of our church. Not only are we celebrating our graduates, but today is also Pentecost Sunday. It is the day that we remember and celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, I pray that uh, you are being blessed by this online ministry. We're grateful that you're tuning in. We do want to remind you, Uh, We do want to remind you that uh, we are back in person again uh, and no reservations are needed. No signing up. Uh, All of the capacity limits have been lifted. We are still asking folks to wear masks as uh, the Tri-County Health Department and others uh, sort out how all that fits together with the CDC, the state of Colorado, and the Tri-County Health Department. But we hope that in a couple of weeks uh, we should see some improvement there as well. We welcome you back we hope that uh we've loved being with you if this is how you join us we're grateful that you're here but if you're able to come and be with us again you feel safe uh, we would invite you to come and we look forward to seeing you here on the campus at south suburban christian church if you have your bibles uh, with you i'd like for you to turn to acts chapter 2 i'm going to begin reading um verse at verse 1 and uh I'm going to jump around just a little bit. I'll read through verse 13 and then skip to verse 42. So if you have uh, your scriptures with you, I'd encourage you to read along with me as we look at God's Word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues... The mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. And then over in verse 42, this is after that uh, miraculous uh, manifestation of the gift of tongues, the ability uh, for those who are gathered to hear the gospel in their own language. And then Peter's sermon, uh, up through verse 41. uh, And then in verse 42, a description uh, by Luke, the author of Acts, uh, as he describes the church being together. This will sound familiar to you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. day by day, those who were being saved. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, like I said, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is a significant uh, celebration in both the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, that, That means it's both a Christian holiday and a Jewish holiday. Uh, Pentecost is actually just a real fancy word from the original Greek that means 50. Uh, It is a uh, festival that traces its beginnings back to uh, a festival that is uh, identified in the Old Testament as the Feast of Weeks. You can go back to Leviticus 23 verse 15 and Deuteronomy 16 verse 9 uh, for an explanation that's more in depth about that Feast of Weeks. Essentially, it gets its name Pentecost because it's 50 days since the Feast of First Fruits. Well, the Feast of First First Fruits is the feast that ends the Feast of Passover. So we have a lot of feasts that are going on here in a short period of time. Well, the Feast of Weeks, like the Feast of First Fruits, the holiday just prior to it, is a harvest feast, uh, according to the Mosaic Law. And the Jews were commanded to, pre- to present an offering of new grain to the Lord. And that's in Leviticus 23, 16. Well, maybe it might help if, if I just walk real quickly through the uh, three Jewish feasts that I have just mentioned that have occurred over the last 50 days or so since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, now remember back to the Old Testament, or know that in the Old Testament, there are seven very important Jewish feasts. And these seven Jewish feasts are also important to the Christian faith. Now, as Gentile Christians, as Christians who are not ethnically Jewish or who don't have the same kind of familiarity with the uh, Jewish culture and and scriptures and ethos and celebrations, many of us have forgotten or, or perhaps more accurately never knew to begin with Uh, or appreciated or understood the significance of these festivals in the Old Testament and how they uh, play into the gospel. As I said, there are seven Jewish feasts, and each of those seven feasts signify an important aspect of God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Now, of these, there are three that are called pilgrimage feasts which means that it was required by every able-bodied Jewish male, specifically, to travel to Jerusalem and go to the temple to celebrate that particular feast. Now, over the last 53 days since the crucifixion of Jesus, since we have observed the crucifixion of Jesus, all the way up today, uh, the first feast uh, is Passover. That's the first feast in this 53-day period. And that is when the Jews celebrated uh, that death had passed over them when they were in bondage in the land of Egypt. You'll remember the last plague, the death of every firstborn, and the angel of death was sent by God to to enact this plague. But for everyone, particularly the Hebrews, if they took the blood of a lamb, placed it on the doorposts of their house, the angel of death would pass over that house, and they would not... Uh, be judged with the death of the firstborn. This celebration is commanded by God to continue to be observed as a way that the Jews celebrated how death had passed over them. Now, this is the feast in which our Lord was crucified. Ergo, you have the New Testament writers and the church throughout its history talking about Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God <clears throat> who takes away the sin of the world. It is the blood of Jesus, for Christians, uh, that we remember, like the Jews do the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts, we remember the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that shields us from eternal death and, and uh, eternal separation from God. Um, the, because of the blood of Christ, death has passed over us as well. So that's Passover. That's how Jesus is connected to that. Next is the Feast of Firstfruits. Now, this is um, the, the feast on which Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead at the beginning of the Festival of Firstfruits. The, this feast was um, uh, commanded by God to be celebrated as the harvest. It was the first fruits of the harvest it was the festival that effectively ended the celebration of Passover Uh, in Acts 26 verse 23 we read that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead that is Jesus is the first fruit yeah I think it's important as God uh, uh, orchestrated these salvific acts, these acts which lead to our salvation, that they correlate to these festivals that were inherently a part of the Jewish understanding and identity. Now, following Jesus' resurrection, if we go back and look in the Bible, Jesus spends the next 40 days teaching his disciples uh, some more, and it ends on the day of ascension, which we just celebrated a few days ago, 10 days ago. Acts chapter 1 uh, 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 outlines what happened on the day of Ascension. And 10 days after the day of Ascension, it's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on that day, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit as promised. That's all recorded right there in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and specifically John chapter 16, verse 7. This Holy Spirit comes to indwell the disciples and empower them for ministry. The promised Holy Spirit arrives on the Feast of Weeks. Jesus is crucified so that death passes over us on Passover. Jesus is raised from the dead on the Feast of first fruits, symbolic that He is the first to be raised from the dead, incorruptible and glorified. And He sends His Holy Spirit On the Feast of Weeks, 50 days later, where today the Jews celebrate the gift of the law, we, as Christians, celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. On this day, we have the celebration of the law and the celebration of the gospel. Now, you've probably heard me before that every good sermon, particularly in the Protestant tradition, always has the law and the gospel the bad news and the good news it's a very protestant day for us here on this feast day of weeks this feast of pentecost now the text that we read today is really rich that whole first i'm sorry that whole second chapter of the book of acts it would take a year of pentecost to even begin to scratch the surface of the depths of the season of pentecost this passage and what it means to the church now just let me, let me, before I begin, let, let me just say one other thing. You know, as folks who have inherited the great tradition of the Protestant Reformation, it is important to remember that the original Reformer, specifically Martin Luther himself, said that the three most important celebrations for every Christian were the Lord's Day celebration, that is Sunday, the day we remember each week the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, each week. Number two is Easter. And are you ready? Number three is Pentecost. Christmas isn't even listed in that original listing of holidays. So as good Protestants, as people who inherit that, th- that tradition, this Pentecost Day is the third most important celebration of our faith. Like our graduates that we're celebrating today, Pentecost is a day that we recognize how God's people are being launched into the future. It is uh, a, 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 an interesting perspective, I think, because if we were to talk to our graduates, many of the, some of them may know where they're going, but do they really know? Some of them may say, I have no idea. You know, sometimes when we're launched into the future, we don't always know the where or the how. But for us who are believers on this day of Pentecost, we are reminded that we know the with, or the with whom. That is, as who is going with us into the future, and that is God the Holy Spirit. Today I want to look briefly at just one of the overarching themes in Pentecost. In verse 6 and in verse 11, we hear both the statement from Luke about what happened and then the testimony of those who were there. Look at verse 6. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And then verse 11, the testimony of those who were there, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The first point I want to share with you today, and it's all about speaking. That's what the Holy Spirit empowered those first apostles to do, to speak. Point one, the Holy Spirit speaks to our human need. What I'd like to do is to let Jesus teach us a little bit about the works of the Holy Spirit. Instead of me doing all the talking, we'll let Jesus do the talking. If you have your Bibles would you, or your Scriptures, will you turn over to chapter 16 and look with me at verse 7 of chapter 16. Jesus says, He's talking to His disciples here about His soon going away, His crucifixion, uh, His resurrection, and then ultimately His ascension. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world. Now, the Holy Spirit is given lots of tasks, if you will. The Holy Spirit does much in our life. But one of the principal things that the Holy Spirit does, as Jesus outlines in this text, is the Spirit convicts. Now, that word convict means to expose, to convince, to offer compelling evidence, to prove wrong, or as we might say, in fancy church talk, to reprove us, to connect us. Isn't that an interesting way of translating that word as well? Well, when most of us think about being convicted, we think of being found guilty, right? And what comes next? We're sentenced, right? If you violate the law, you are convicted, you are sentenced, and you must fulfill the punishment that's really what happened at Passover Uh, the world was judged and that's really what happened more specifically at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when Jesus presented himself as the lamb the perfect lamb judgment conviction we were convicted Adam and Eve were judged Abraham was judged. Moses was judged. King David was judged. Miriam, Deborah, Ruth, and Esther, and all of the other great heroines of the Hebrew Scriptures were judged. Peter, the apostle. Andrew, the apostle. Paul, Ignatius, one of the early church fathers. Polycarp, St. Augustine. Pope Gregory the Great. They were all judged that day. Martin Luther was judged. John Calvin was judged. John Wesley was judged. Alexander Campbell was judged. Pastor Joe was judged. Pastor Ike was judged. You, your grandkids, your great, 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 great grandchildren who haven't even been born yet were all judged on that day. And all of us. Every single one of us, from the Apostle Peter all the way to your great-great-great-great-grandchild who's not been born yet, have all been judged and have been found guilty. And the sentence? The sentence is death. Eternal separation from God. But on that day, over 2,000 years ago, when the world was judged and found guilty, Jesus stepped in front of us. He stepped in front of Adam and Eve, Abraham, me, you, and our children yet to be born, and He bore the penalty of our rebellion. And today, as He sits at the right hand of God the Father, He prays for us, giving to us the benefits of a sinless and perfect life. Most of you probably are familiar with a, a concept of double jeopardy, particularly in American jurisprudence or in the American court of law. Double jeopardy basically means that you can't be charged twice for the same crime. It, it's really an idea that has been given to us by God. God is the one that started it. We are charged, we are found guilty, we are sentenced to death, And as our Lord and Savior steps in front of us, as Christ Himself goes to the cross, that sentence is carried out, and the conviction for our rebellion has been punished, and it is done. We cannot be charged again for the same crimes. You are free. And that's what I mean when I say that the Holy Spirit speaks to our human need. Point two, the Holy Spirit speaks so the world will hear. Remember the testimony of those who were, on the, uh, who were there on that day of Pentecost? <clears throat> we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Let me keep reading here in John chapter 16 beginning in verse 12 and reading through verse 15. Jesus continues to teach. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, when the Feast of Weeks, I mean the original Jewish celebration of the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, the Jewish understanding of Pentecost was celebrated. There was a process that the Jews and the priests in the temple went through—a a liturgy, if you might say—an order of service. The word liturgy is just another one of those fancy church words that mean that means the work of the people there was there was a work of the jewish people as they brought their uh, uh harvest to the temple it, it went something like this so um the uh, it, it included all of the 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 males of of age and from the king all the way down to the poorest farmer And what would happen is on the morning of the day of pentecost all of the farmers all of those who had come to bring their offering of grain would uh, meet on mount zion with uh, some uh, musicians and they would begin to play music and as they played the farmers would sing together the something called the psalms of ascent which are in your bible in the book of psalms specifically psalm chapter 120 through chapter 136 now get this they sung all of those psalms by heart in Hebrew. Regardless of where they came from, they were asked, they were required to sing it by heart in Hebrew. And as they made their way from, uh, uh, to, uh, from Mount Zion down to the Temple Mount, uh, where they arrived with the king, the king would go in first, placing a basket of food on his shoulders, And then together they would all come into the temple courts. And as they made their way into the temple courts, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they're not necessarily priests, but they're of the same tribe. They're they're sort of the choir, if you will, of the temple. The Levites would sing Psalm 30 by heart in Hebrew. And when they got into the temple courts, when everybody finally got in there, the farmers would take their baskets before the priests, and each farmer, one at a time, would step forward and say the liturgy of recitation from Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 3. In Hebrew, by heart. The farmer then would remove the basket from his shoulder, tip it to the priest so that he could see it. The priest would take hold of the other side of the basket, and the two of them would sway it back and forth as a wave offering. And this is a kind of offering that is outlined in the Mosaic Law. The farmer would then recite... Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 5 through 10, in Hebrew, by heart. He would then leave the basket, he would bow before the Lord and make way for the next farmer, and the whole thing would start all over again, and it would take the entire day. Now, the problem was that in the time of Jesus, that uh, as the Jews had spread throughout the world, as was listed in the book of Acts, where Jews from Pontus and Pamphylia and Perg- uh, Phrygia and, and, and all these other places, that um, a lot of the Jews had lost the ability to speak Hebrew. And many of them had not been able to memorize in Hebrew the things that they were supposed to be able to know and to memorize, their liturgy, their work, in this offering of sacrifice. And so what began to happen is a lot of these farmers stopped bringing their offerings to the temple. And the priests saw this that people weren't coming to temple anymore because they didn't know or understand what they were supposed to do. Sound familiar? <laughs> so what the priests began to do is as they began to say all of the parts and not require the farmers to say their parts. So the priests memorize not only their part, but the parts of the people as well, by heart, in Hebrew. Well, on this day of Pentecost, when the apostles are gathered there, specifically Peter, and as this liturgy is going on, where people are going in and listening to the priests go through the liturgy, go through the responses, all in Hebrew, by heart, and the farmer's just standing there, not knowing what's being said or having a full understanding of everything. Suddenly, there's this fella, a Galilean, a fisherman, who begins to pronounce and proclaim the mighty works of God in a language that the people understand. And as the people gather from various parts of the known world, speaking their own languages and their own dialects, they hear the gospel so that they can understand it. You and I, as South Suburban Christian Church, stand on the cusp of a future in which God is calling us to. And it's fitting to gather on this Pentecost to remember this lesson today that one of the most significant ways we can speak to others is so that they'll understand us. And one of the best ways for us to understand them and therefore to be able to speak in a way they can understand us is to walk with them. Is to be with them in the midst of their lives. In the midst of their experiences. And God in his providence and in his sovereignty has placed South Suburban Christian Church at the crossroads of these neighborhoods that surround our campus that interestingly don't have a lot of other houses of worships in these neighborhoods. And the strategic plan that we have been discerning together as a church over these last several months, phase two of that plan, which we're planning to begin launching This fall in September, as the church comes fully online and fully back into the work and ministry that we're called to, we're called to remember this lesson, to speak in the language that those in our community and neighborhood understand, not require them to learn our language. It is a call for us to walk in their shoes and not require them to learn how to walk in our shoes. It's a call for us to understand how they live life. It's not necessarily a call for us to demand that they learn how we live life. In many ways, we're missionaries right here in our own neighborhood. Just like when we send missionaries to other parts of the world, we send them to language school first. We teach them the language, we teach them the customs, so that when they go, they can integrate and get to know the people and share with them God's love that transcends culture and language. And that's what you and I are called to do, right here in our community to speak in such a way that they understand. And that will require work on our part to learn and to be willing to go outside of our comfort zones, just like missionaries do every day when they go to other nations and other cultures. Point three, the Holy Spirit speaks to us so that we may speak to others. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that in Acts chapter 2, Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, is able to declare this great message. And the people, having heard and understand, in verse 37, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. Over in chap- Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, and I find this so powerful because it's really how we began this pandemic. Because in the beginning weeks of this pandemic, Pastor Joe and I sat right here and we shared how much Acts two forty-two had come upon our hearts. And I leave this with you as we now look toward a new future. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, what is the result of all of that? That last verse. And day by day, God added to their number those who were being saved. On this Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit speaks to us that which we need to hear. The Holy Spirit speaks to us so that we can understand. And the Holy Spirit calls us to teach and to speak to others so that they, in turn, can share the good news as well. This is our prayer. This is our future. In Jesus' name, amen.